0: Test sentence.
1: Uh, I will support Iron Robin until the day I die.
0: Welcome back to the Super Byron Podcast. I am Benjamin Scott, and today I'm joined by my friends across the pond, Sebastian Zimmerman. Hi. And Tim Richards. Hello. And today we'll discuss Byron's defense, which can't seem to stop leaking goals, and take an early look at the winter transfer window when Byron will welcome Canadian wonder kid Alfonso Davies. And we'll give our thoughts on those mint green Byron away kits. But before we get into all that, we have two Byron results we need to work through. And the first of those came midweek when Byron faced uh, AEK or Ike Athens, uh, in which Byron won 2 0 thanks to a two goal flurry, uh, first from Javi Martinez and second from Robert Lewandowski. And Sebastian, I want to turn to you first for your thoughts on this match, because last week when we discussed our midfield, our ideal midfield, you proposed Javi Martinez, Thiago and James Rodriguez, and that's what we saw against Athens, so how do you think your guys did? Did they uh, they provide you a good defense?
2: No, not really. They did not do exceptionally well uh, against Athens, I would say. But, on the other hand, I don't think that's such a huge deal. I would argue that um, yeah, these are growing pains. Uh, this is the second time this midfield played together, I think, so yeah, while I did not like the performance, I guess it's fine for now they they are going they are only going to get better, and yeah' we're, it's only going to go up from here, I would say.
0: You brought up something in the chat that I thought was a bit interesting during the match, and that was all of the the players, especially in midfield, they instead of sticking to their position as they usually do or they usually have under Kovac, they kind of just, I guess maybe they thought since they were facing a team that you know on paper is so much you know so inferior to them, they just kind of abandoned that. Everyone kind of did their own thing, and um, as we saw, as you just said, that didn't really bring the best out of anyone. You know, you don't want having Martinez rushing up the field. Uh he's taking up James' space and I thought James in particular wasn't looking very great against Athens. He wasn't quite at his creative best. Um but yeah, I mean it could have been it could have been a lot worse. They got the win, which I guess at the end of the day is the most important. Um but any other thoughts from that match? It was honestly kind of dull and a bit difficult to watch, mm-hmm. especially if you were here in the States. Uh, but Tim, Tim, do you have any takeaways from that match?
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say that Sebastian's right and say that it is still teething issues. Um so I was looking on Reddit and Twitter over the past couple of days after the Athens game, after the Mainz game, seeing that people are saying like, Yeah, okay, these are bad results, but he obviously Kovach has to play safe. Cause if he experiments and it goes wrong, that's another thing that's gone wrong for him. Um, I think what's important, at least thinking from like an employability point of view, he wants to keep his job and the best thing for him to do is to just get results. Um, It doesn't have to be flashy right now. He just needs to get it done. Um, Later on, that will happen. And I'm looking at a a really good app, SofaScore. Um, And I'm looking at the Athens game and only three players... Um, have an average position of, uh, uh, for Athens, have an average position that shows them past the halfway line. So I think, like, I think a lot of teams are kind of, are going to do this, especially, as you said, coming up against a team that's, you know, on paper, so massively superior to them. Obviously, they're going to sit back. Um, And yeah, maybe it should be Kovac's job to find the solution to a team that's going to park the bus. But I don't think it's that surprising that, Bayern didn't win by millions of goals, um, but I think I think Bayern played okay, but there is still room for improvement.
0: Yeah, and you kind of hinted at something that I thought was, you know, the Athens game. It was a bit boring, but something that I really found uh, to be a big positive was that the defense looked, you know, looked really good. Uh, you talked about the Athens players' positions; they were really kept inside their own half, and they had a few times where they maybe broke through the Byron back line a little bit uh, but usually anything that came through anything that even looked like it was about to come through was cleaned up and um, one player who impressed me particularly in that match other than Rafinha who made an excellent comeback uh, was Nicholas Sula who's mm-hmm. quietly been you know really really great this season he looks to be probably Kovac's first choice at center back and I think against Athens, it was, he, he gave a great display of you know, why he should be that first choice, and it's, you know, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that when he's playing along two of Germany's you know, great defenders of all time, Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng, for him to have already pretty much established himself as first choice is, is pretty impressive. Um, anything else y'all noticed from the Athens game that you want to address real quick?
2: I mean, I totally agree. I, I also think that Zula has gotten much better and is playing on a much higher level than I expected. I really did not think uh, that he would be the number one guy at this point in the season. Uh, I was really thinking he would he would uh, he would always uh, just uh, pitch in whenever one of the other guys is uh, hurt or in a rotation kind of way. But I totally agree to, with what you said. I think he's really the the number one back there right now, and that's that really came as a surprise for me and uh yeah i guess i, I want to say who also played quite well was Nab- nabri in that game uh, which is quite the contrast to what we are probably going to talk about uh, uh a couple of minutes later in the mines game so I, I really liked him then but i did not like him against mines so much I, I i would want some yeah some more consistency from him actually but uh yeah it, it, again it comes down to yeah, Kovac trying new things right now and they are not going to work from, from the get-go. It's going to take time and I think it's good that they got those wins because if they hadn't, yeah, it would be tough now for, for Kovac, Kovac to stick with what he's doing and trying to implement new things because he, he would, uh, yeah, who would need to play even safer now and that would probably be, yeah, a huge issue then. Yeah, I think I'm
1: um, following on from that. I, I kind of agree it is... Uh, as I said earlier, it's just something you just have to kind of get through these games. Um, obviously, we've seen uh, like the third game of the Champions League. That's we've seen before playing against teams like Moscow, even like big teams like Roma. Bayern can get, you know, five, six goals against these teams. Um, but just because it isn't happening now doesn't mean that it's never going to happen Um I think, as Sebastian said, you know, it just takes a bit of time and patience. Um, the game, the game against Athens, I genuinely thought the first. This is a game that never looked like Bayern were going to lose, um, mm-hmm. but they made winning a little bit too difficult for themselves. I think, but it looked after the first after the first goal went in. I thought, okay, this is it, game over. They're it, just going to keep on keep on scoring and the second goal went in I thought okay 6-0 this is definitely going to happen and then it just kind of stopped like it had the it had the threat of being a really prolific and very resounding victory Um, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of a bit like the Ajax game where Bayern started really really promisingly just pure energy for the first 10 minutes and then they kind of got what they wanted and then I don't want to say they like took their foot off the gas but they just kind of slowed down a bit. And um, so there is the promise, but there still needs to be just a little bit more afterwards.
0: Yeah, and yeah. that's a good transition to the Mainz game because I think we saw more of that uh, against Mainz. There was times in that match when Byron looked like, you know, they were finally going to just step up and prove all the critics wrong and you know just give that big display that Kovac has needed to you know, get the media, get the critics off his back. And there was times when it looked like, you know, that they were on the brink of that happening, and specific, especially in the first half, I think. And then there were times where they just, it's like they just lulled themselves into this monotony, this just acceptance to just have the ball and not really do anything with it. Um, eventually, they got the 2-1 win, um, thanks to goals from Goretzka and then Tiago, who probably should have had two, but VAR made sure that didn't happen. And, and, you know, like I said, there was just times where they looked great, times where they looked dull. Uh, And Sebastian, you talked about Serge Serge Nabry, and you hit on a point that I really Mm -hmm. wanted to make. Um, Tim, I want to hear your thoughts. What did you make of his performance in in that match?
1: Um, I think, I thought he did okay. Um, There seems to be this uh, predication that he will be, The long-term solution to um, to either Ribery or Robin, probably Ribery at this stage, because he's only played on the on the left wing so far. Um, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but what you're doing with that is you're replacing somebody who, at the top of their game, was a a 10 out of 10 player. Like they were voted the best player in the world um, at a time where Messi and Ronaldo were, you know, at, at Many would argue kind of between their two peak years. Um, So you're replacing him with a player that prior to Bayern had played just over half a season with Hoffenheim because he was injured for a long time, just over half a season with Bremen because he was injured for a long time, and before that wasn't getting into the Arsenal squad, and before that wasn't getting into the West Brom squad. Okay, he gets, he's younger the longer back, the further back you go. Um, But I, Beyond anything else, I don't think he is going to be the long-term solution. I think he'll be a long-term buy-in player, but I don't know if, he's, if his long-term solution is out wide. Um, saying that, I think when he when he has played, he's done well. Um, it's obviously going to be very frustrating for him, considering he still hasn't played 90 minutes yet. He's got to be one of the few players in the squad that hasn't played 90 minutes yet, um, or a, a full 90 minutes, I should say. Um I think he's doing fine, but I don't know maybe there is this belief amongst fans that he hasn't hit his he hasn't hit his peak yet, but there is the very possible the very possible idea that this is his peak um you know he is still really young, like he's only a couple of years younger than me um and i have i hit my peak of footballing ability a long time <laughs> ago um I think he he's doing fine, but to expect absolute world-class performances from somebody that has never performed to a world-class standard is quite a tall order in my eyes
0: well to provide a bit of defense for Nabri um i think it's
1: oh i'm not i'm not saying no, he's you, bad, yeah no i, mean, I know yeah. you're not
0: i know you're not um i guess trying to say anything necessarily bad about him but you know you, to look kind of from his perspective he just joined the biggest team in germany and he's you know one of maybe two or three new additions with, you know, hardly even a new addition to the squad. And mm. he's coming in with all these expectations. He's, he's a new signing more or less, which just already generates excitement. But he's playing at Byron on a Byron team that's not looking very Byron-like. Um, by that I mean he's got all these expectations to play good, but he's not going to look good when the team as a whole isn't looking good. Um, Byron are yeah. looking far from their best, you know, as, as a unit. And so there's just that much more added pressure on top of him, and you know that, that many more eyes are watching him. And then on top of that, he was played, he was played on the left wing against Mainz on Saturday, and then on the right wing, he had Thomas Mueller. Um, and so mm. in a sense, he was basically the only winger on, on the team. He was expected to provide you know basically all the width for the squad. And mm. Nabry, if, you, if you've watched him, you know, at Hoffenheim, wherever he's been, he may be a winger, but he's a player who also likes to get into those central positions. Uh, you could even make the argument that he probably does his best work in those central positions, kind of like Miller, he's at his best when he's coming inside. And so I think maybe once we get Coman back, it'll be a little bit easier to judge how, how, how Mabry truly is. You know, Get Coman on the right, who can stretch the play and you know widen things out and and then maybe Nabry will become more effective when he's got someone who can alleviate that pressure, because even when he's played alongside Robin, Robin's doing the same thing, cutting inside, um, but I do think, I don't know, I want Nabry to succeed so bad, I want him to, I want him to step up and be able to be, you know, a first team winger, a starting winger for the next, you know, three, four years, whatever, but there are some worrying signs that, you know, we keep waiting on him to step up and be at his best, and, we're not seeing too many improvements yet. Is there the possibility that his, that he hasn't yet stepped up because
1: a winger isn't his best position? As you said, he does work very well going through the middle. Is his future at Bayern actually one of Bayern's center forwards, a a position that we've had quite a really, okay. I thought I was onto something. All right, mind.
2: I mean, I I think I actually kind of disagree here. Uh, I, I would argue that, uh, according to your reasoning, Benjamin, uh, Bayern, Bayern should have gotten much better when Ribery uh, came onto the pitch. But that didn't happen at all. R- quite the opposite, I would argue. I think Ribery looked quite bad in that game. Maybe he was a bit more flashy than Nubry, I I would give you that, but... In the end, I don't think he, play, he played a better role than, than Gnabry did in, the, in this match. I, I did not like it at all when he came in and tried to do the, the, whole, the whole old shtick, running down, down the sideline, going into one-on-one situations, always tr- trying, trying to get to get, get, uh, get the balls in from the outside. I did not really like that at all. I thought they played much better before Ribery came on. So
0: No, I would, yeah. I would, I would agree with you completely. Um, I think Byron definitely... Tim, I'm sorry this is going to hurt you a little bit, but I think Byron definitely did get a lot worse when Ribery came on. Um, And I, I want to preface this for anyone listening. I'm not a Ribery hater. You have to respect what he's done for this club. Um, You know, set up. He's a legend. But 35-year-old Franck Ribery is far from the Franck Ribery that led us to the treble. And so, you know, in saying that, you can't say that, or to, to provide a defense for what I'm saying. Maybe if Nabri was pla- replaced by a winger who still had the physical capability yeah. to burn past his man, to, to mm-hmm. beat a man one-on-one, then, then maybe you know, it'd be a little bit fair to judge maybe whether or not that is Nabri's best position. Uh, but I wanted to talk about Ribery anyway because I was genuinely disappointed by him when he came on the pitch. Not by what he tried to do. I thought he had all the right ideas. And, um, something that Tim always points out is his commendable defensive work. I think he definitely realizes that he's losing a step offensively and he, you know, goes the extra mile to, to track back to work, to get the ball back. And we saw that, uh, he actually did that against my team, ran all the way down the field, won the ball back. It probably was a foul, but it didn't get called. So it didn't happen. That no, was a great time. Yeah, exactly. Really so tackle. yeah, no, Tim, I, Tim, I wanted to turn it to you to, can you find anything redeemable? in Ribery's game other than that you know solid expert tackle
1: um i can it's not it's difficult to quantify because obviously you can say he lost possession x amount of times he didn't get past his player y amount of times um for me the biggest thing that is the difference between him and a young player um to so someone like Coman when he first joined okay physically Coman was far superior already because he was he was quicker he might have been stronger um Ribery and Robin in terms of their footballing brain are still second to none at the club I think it's what has helped them get their extensions you know for for better or for worse um, probably for worse for um many people would argue that I think you can tell that as soon as Ribery comes on, he is the outlet that players look to, um, to provide mm-hmm. something, to provide some spark. And you can see it in the way that he works with Alaba or Rafinha or whoever is the, whoever's the left back. Um, he is a danger, but he's very quickly been found out that he's only a danger if you allow him to do what he wants to do. Because if he has the space, he will play a pass that nobody else can spot. He's going to do some sort of dazzling footwork and it's going to be incredible. But if a if a, a young and strong fullback is charging down at him, chances are his, his feet can't do what his brain wants to do anymore. Um, so while Ribery's kind of, I guess, like a bit of a joke of French football for not being the most intelligent person in the world, in terms of footballing intelligence, I think he's he's one of the best that, that we've ever had the privilege of seeing um so that's kind of my support of him but at the same time intelligence isn't the only thing that gets you goals you need to have the ability to back it up
0: yeah Maybe i think he'd like, like
1: a good manager like i don't know he probably wouldn't, <laughs> yeah let's be honest
2: <laughs> I think you're going in the completely right direction. That's also what I th- kind of what I thought. I thought that the whole team played a different kind of football when R- Ribery came on. They didn't still try to do what they were doing before, and was what was working. Yeah, two thirds of the time or three quarters of the time, quite well. I would say and just passed the ball to Ribery quite often he was trying to do his own thing and the others yeah they were trying uh, they were doing the same they were all trying to do the oh trying to play the old Bayern on football the kind of football they have been playing since uh since Ribery are on the, on the team and i don't think that's the solution at the moment it's it's not working anymore it's not working if you only have one of the guys on the pitch it's not working when you're 35 now and it's not as not as fast as you used to be that was that was a big part of the problem for me, and I think that was also kind of Nabri's Nub- problem probably. I, I I think he tried to to he also tried to play the Ribery kind of football too much. I think that's what, why he wasn't was not functioning as well as some of the other guys early in the match. That's at least that's what I felt like. He was trying to play an actual winger, and. Yeah, a, a, a winger in the Ribery, Robin kind of style, and I think that's not what we're what we should expect from from Serge nabry I think, yeah, we we should we should want Bayern to play a new kind of football, with uh, yeah, more flexible positions, uh, a f- faster kind of football, faster passes, not so much fast running. I, I think that's where we're gonna going to find success if this season.
0: Yeah, and to um one, one final stat on Ribery, it, he has played 11 Bundesliga games this season, um, seven of those he started, two Champions League games this season, one DFB-Pokal game this season, and he hasn't scored a single goal and he hasn't assisted a single goal either. So the stats aren't really looking good for him. Um, but talking about Bayern changing their game completely when Ribery comes onto the pitch because they see him as that You know, the creative outlet for the team. How much do you think that Byron maybe missed James Rodriguez in the middle uh, on Saturday? Because since he came, especially last season, towards the end of last season, we saw that he was that guy that if Byron needed something to, uh, needed a creative force, they needed someone to drive the play forward, it was almost always James that got the ball turned and and they counted on him to make something happen. Um, And you know, we didn't see him in the match against Mainz, and personally, I felt like that hurt the team a lot. I feel like, you know, Goretzka, Thiago, I, Javi Martinez, I felt they all did an excellent job in midfield, but I don't think any of them justified, maybe Tiago, who had a very good game, but I don't think any of them justified not having James Rodriguez in the team. So, do you think that would have changed uh, if he was on the pitch? you think that, you know, him and Ribery working together maybe, uh, alleviating the pressure off of one another, could be a good fix?
1: I mean quite possibly. Um I think Hammers needed needed the rest. So he came back to the mm-hmm. I think the Athens game after one day in training mm-hmm. after the international break. He played most of that game. Um and then no, it wasn't the Athens game, it was the one last week, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think the the point still stands. He he needed the rest. Um obviously you can't play every single game for ninety minutes, because you'll just burn out, and then it means it will be injured later on. When, you know, when we really desperately need that creative outlet. Um, so I think him and Tiago do play like quite similarly. Um, Hammers is slightly more attack minded than, than Tiago is, but their skill sets are largely similar. So I think if you're missing one, then it's not the end of the world. If you're missing both, then that's going to be the real problem.
2: I think it's quite tough to say how good Goretzka and Gnabry can be in the long term. I think we would have to look uh, uh, at those two to pick up the slack here and do the things that Hamas is doing or do similar things, if anybody on the pitch. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if uh, if any of the two or both of them together are able to fill that role, basically. I'm totally not sure on that. But I think we have seen glimpses of uh, quite... Yeah, glimpses glimpses of that. I think... Goretzka has 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 had a couple of very good matches recently. But he's a different kind of player, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean he's he's a bigger guy. He doesn't he's not yeah, as, as good technically as Hames is, obviously. Yeah, tough to say. I'm not quite sure about that. But I would argue, yeah, we, we will need to try that. Because yeah, Hames is probably the only guy on the pitch we cannot substitute one to one, basically. So we need to find solutions for that. There's no other way. Where are we going to end up if the only thing you need to do to stop FC Bayern München is getting Hamas off the pitch? That, that cannot, cannot be the end of it. We, we cannot allow that. So, yeah. yeah. We need to look at those guys, or we need to buy something as someone in the, in the winter.
0: Well, there's also you know, the fact that Hamas is one of the best midfielders in the world, especially when on his game and you know, it's not as easy as just finding someone a like for like replacement that can immediately step in but mm-hmm. uh you talked about Goretzka and you know one thing that has been very evident watching him this season is he's a bit like Thomas Muller in the way that he's much mm-hmm. more effective off the ball than he is on the ball um he's obviously more technically gifted than Muller uh a little bit better in a in a as a box to box midfielder than strictly an attacking midfielder than Muller but, mm-hmm. you know, n- neither player provide a perfect uh, fill-in for James. But those two are, you know, those two are Bayern's go-to fill-ins for James. So I think, you know, we are kind of trending dangerously close to what you, what you said. Big teams see that Bayern aren't nearly at their best without James. So if we can get him off the pitch, then we're good to go. And I think that's one area that Kovac needs to take a look at. And uh, assess and then address that problem. Uh, but any other any other players' performances that stood out to you, either positively or negatively, uh, against Mainz on Saturday?
2: Yeah, I mean Alaba was a bit disappointing in that match. He really failed to produce anything, yeah, anything worthwhile on the left on the left wing. Uh, and of course, Nabi also didn't play well on that side. So, yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear that the right side was way more dangerous than than the left side in this match. That that was, I mean, blatantly, really blatantly obvious. And I think Alaba hasn't had the best season he, he uh, he's had since he's at, at Bayern München, and this is quite a long time. It's maybe his his worst worst season I can remember. I guess he's really not playing well. There are never any matches where you say where you could say, "All right, today Alaba was one of the best guys on the pitch," or something like that. He's really not looking so good. And I uh, yeah, wonder why that is. He should be in about the, the best age right now for a defender on his position. Yeah, I ha- I hope he's going to play better in the future because otherwise, yeah, this is going to get strange. Uh, uh, I mean, he's the only guy really w- that we have on the left side. If he is not uh, playing well, what are we going to do? I mean, <laughs> there are not, not so many alternatives there. I'm, don't like Rafinha on the left side I mean it's not that that has never happened but he's better suited to the to the right side yeah what are we going to do put Goretzka or Nabri there again Ah, I'm really really not not convinced that that's such a good idea
0: well perhaps it's time for a new acquisition but we'll get to that in a minute um before any Tim anybody really stand out to you positively or negatively from the game on Saturday
1: yeah, I think Thomas Miller and Jerome Boateng. Um, I don't think they're, they've got enough credit for um, for just performing to the standard that they were asked to perform to. Um, it wasn't flashy; it was just them playing well. Um, neither of them had had started the, um, had started a game in I think like three weeks, maybe like quite a long time. Um, Boateng wasn't even supposed to start that game um i think hummels had picked up an injury just before i actually watched the game on on a delay so i didn't see the training um but yeah they they weren't world beaters but they they stood up and they stepped up to the plate to use an expression that uh, from baseball <laughs> yeah i thought they both did really really well
0: yeah Boateng actually he wasn't going to start the match and uh, i think it was Joshua Kimmich speaking to the media after the game was you know heaping praise on Boateng for finding out you know 10 minutes before the match starts that he's going to play and then to come in and perform so well you know as professional you know footballers he can attest how that is not easy but i can definitely sympathize with what you said about Thomas Muller uh, i couldn't say enough good things about him but He's kind of in recent in the past season or two fallen into the same kind of boat as Aryan Robin and Frank Ribri, whereas there's almost a direct split in fans of those who are just wanting him out of the lineup completely and those who will defend him. And, and I think it's a bit ridiculous how much you know hate the guy gets, how much criticism the guy gets to be you know, such a Byron legend, you know, as he is, or to be so completely devoted to Byron, um, to come in, he knows his strengths, he knows his weaknesses, and he plays to those to the best of his ability. And, you know, say what you want, the stats back it up that he is still an effective player, Um, maybe not quite the same Thomas Muller that was, you know, scoring five goals in a World Cup. Um, Times have changed, he as a player has changed. I think it is definitely fair to say he's lost a step in confidence. Um, he's not the clinical finisher he used to be. But, yeah, I would agree completely. Thomas Muller impressed me on, on Saturday with his game. And from from what we can see from the outside, I'm impressed with how he handled. He's handling you know, getting less and less playing time. He's handling Kovac dropping him from the starting 11 for two matches in a row, which hadn't happened in, I think, eight years as long as he's been fit. It was the first time in eight years he hadn't started to, or he had been on the bench for two matches consecutively. Um, and every time you see him, he's still smiling. He still seems like he's giving all for the team, not for himself. And so, yeah, it's nice to hear someone else giving him credit for doing something.
2: I would gladly pitch in. I will, I will gladly also praise him because uh, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Müller. Uh, I have a jersey with his name on it. Oh, yeah. And yeah I would argue that it's not so much about him getting older and whatnot i I would think he also doesn't play the way he played uh, uh when he was younger because he's a leader now mm-hmm. i mean he he cannot play the same kind kind of uh kind of football where when he's also expected to rally the team and be yeah talk to everyone on the pitch that has changed and uh, and i think that doesn't lend itself very well to the kind of to the kind of football he was playing and of course uh yeah there is his position doesn't doesn't hasn't quite existed uh on the bayern squad he's not really a winger he's not he's not really a number 10 like James is so that's also difficult has been difficult in in the more, more recent years but yeah i think it really comes down to being a leader, being loud, talking to everybody and not you know, vanishing and then reappearing uh, wherever he feels like and wherever the ball is going.
1: Mm, that's something i just like to finish that um, by saying that having been at the Alliance Arena recently and seeing uh, the impact that Iron Robin and Ribéry have off of the ball, again, I'm just trying to get them points because I'm so fed up with people being angry at them. Something that Ribery and Robin do when they're not on the ball is something that you don't see from many of the other players. Um, Robin is constantly talking with uh, with Kimmich and and Muller and Lewandowski. Sometimes they're arguing, but you can kind of see why. Um, and it's the same with Ribery. Even though Alaba is now 26, 20, 25, 26, um, in theory should be as you said at the very top of his game Ribéry is still uh, giving him the instructions of where to go what to do what pass to make um, so again it feeds back to this idea that both of them have this this footballing brain and it's this it's the same with Muller when even when he's not on the ball or when he's not even on the pitch you can tell that he's still a hugely influential character and you know, there's a chance that, that translates to being a very influential character in the back room or in the locker room. Um so maybe it isn't entirely useful, but when it comes to the match, having that sort of presence is still is still key. Yep. I'll forever uh, fight in their corner for that.
0: Yeah. Last week we talked a little bit about uh Sally and, you know, kinda of asking the question what exactly is a sporting director? Um but I was thinking about this a second ago when we were talking about Ribri. Uh, guys like him, guys like Thomas Mueller, I think especially, based on what you know, I know about sporting directors, I think would make a really good, maybe in the future, sporting director. But I think even for Mueller, it may be a little ridiculous to say that, but I think he could almost even make that transition now, just with how well he is at dealing with his teammates and dealing with the media. Uh, I don't, you know, as far as the scouting side and everything goes, I don't know exactly how much Sally Hamidzic does. I guess that depends on whether or not you trust uh, what he says about how much he does but um I think we're getting maybe not so much with Mueller but with Ribbery uh Robin I think we're getting to the point now where if we you know if we don't extend their contracts it would be maybe a bit crazy for Byron not to just offer them some sort of position in the back room um, because like you like you talk about their influence in the locker room is is so big it's so vital to Byron's success Um, I think it may be easier to kind of wean them off or even, you know, keep them around in some sort of way in the locker room or something rather than um, just sharply cut it off.
1: Mm, Like positional coaches.
0: Yeah, exactly. So,
1: like, um, I, I can still see that Coman still has a long way to go before being the absolute best that he can possibly be. And the same with Gnabry. So, to have somebody like Ribery and Robin like who uh, who's better to learn from than two of the best wingers that the club's ever seen
0: so one thing we saw from Bayern this week especially against Mainz was uh they failed yet again to keep a clean sheet against a side that they you know very well should have kept that clean sheet um the defense for most of the match you talked about Jerome Boateng earlier. The defense for most of the match looked pretty good, and it's just that one moment where they fall asleep. And you know, specifically this past weekend, we saw Joshua Kimmich, who we're seeing is a bit prone to this, fell asleep, lost his man, got beat to the ball, and just like that, you know, Mainz equal equalized. Luckily, Bayern came back and won. But it's kind of a worrying trend that we're seeing with Bayern uh, under Kovac, which is. Very odd, considering many expected him to come in and, and shore up that defense and to get things fixed, so a lot of attention's being given to byron's attack and 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 our inability to score goals. But do you think that you know the poor defensive record may be a bit more worrying than the attacking record
2: No, I don't think so, really. Uh, I think it's a bit hard to pin that down. It's a bit tough to say what's really going on there. I mean, we've seen similar performances in oh, when, when was that? Uh, not so far, not so far past. I would say uh, when they when they were yeah just making these mistakes because that's really what it is. It's yeah individual mistakes. What we are seeing, I would say, not so much the defense not playing well. I think. Yeah, as you said, the defense is for the most part playing well, I think, and I think they're only going to get better now that we are, that we can see that there is, yeah, some standard formation that's going to play with Martinez on the six. I guess, yeah, they are only going to get better, I think, and I do hope that the mistakes are going to get fewer and f- uh, further apart. But, yeah, it's really tough to say, I feel, what's going on, why they are happening so relatively often. Maybe it's just bad luck that happens. I mean, it just could be bad luck with just, I don't know, four or five instances in the recent matches or or something like that. Sometimes that's really just a big part of it. We're going to see, I guess. I mean, yeah, in the next matches, either it's going to happen again and again and again or it's not going to happen again. It will be easier to say what's really going on there. But... Yeah, no, I think the defense is, is quite good as long as nobody gets hurt. I, I'm not a huge fan of Rafinha. I think we really should not have given him a new contract, I, I would argue. But if we hadn't given him a new contract, I would not put it past uh, Rummenigge and the other guys to not have replaced him. <laughs> so I guess I, I guess I'm happy he's there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think the defense should be fine in the future. I think it's only going to get better with the same players on the pitch. I, I think the real issue is really yeah, getting better on-, on offense, making sure yeah, that-, that we really get those goals all the time. I think that's-, that's the more important issue for me, really.
0: Well, we've talked about basically every defender in Bayern's back backline except for two, um, Matt Hummels and Manuel Neuer. And, you know, on Twitter, Reddit, various, you know, social media, I'm seeing a lot of people are saying they're disappointed. Or they, you know, they don't think Manuel Neuer is still the world's best goalkeeper. And they don't, a lot of people are blasting Matt Tummel saying that they don't think Matt Hummels is still at the same level that, you know, he was maybe a year ago, two years ago when he was one of the best center backs in the world. I'm just, I'm not really buying that. I kind of agree with you, Sebastian. I think that the defense more or less is probably fine. Um we're seeing a lot of goals just coming from those, you know, individual mistakes that and it's a team that takes, you know, takes advantage of the one mistake Byron makes. Uh, but I'm you know specifically frustrated with what people are saying about Mats Hummels. I uh, I don't think he's fallen off at all. I don't think I've I've not been disappointed at all with what I've seen from him this season. I don't think there's been anything uh, of note from him that, you know, is worth saying he should be dropped from the starting 11 or that he's no longer um, at the top level at, you know, one of the best in the world. Uh, so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, both of those players, Hummels and Neuer.
2: Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree with you here. I mean, I guess I have always been a little bit a bigger fan of Boateng, but I think I cannot really see Hummels playing any worse than he, than he has played in recent years. If there is one player on the defense who, yeah, who has been making more mistakes than I would like? That's rather kimmich, I guess. I mean, it's not been terrible. It's really not been terrible. He ha- and he has been much better offensively than than Alaba has. So I'm not not really want to criticize him too much. I guess. Yeah, I would I would like him to yeah you know, make a little less of these individual mistakes. And it's I mean, it is true. Neuer has had a couple of bad games for by his standards, I would say. But I don't. I don't think that that's any any reason to doubt. That's any reason to want to change anything about that mm-hmm. in the near future. I think he's going to get up to his standard kind of goalkeeping, which is the highest you can you can have. I would say. I really don't think that we have a problem with Neuer. I mean, he's not that old. He I, he he can play five years, five more years if he wants to. I would think. I mean, he doesn't have to. Maybe not. But right now, I don't see. Th- I don't see any problem with him. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Noy is always going to get picked on because you know he takes risks that other keepers wouldn't, and you know if people aren't saying, "Oh, is he the best in the world?" If people aren't questioning that, then mm-hmm. he's obviously not doing the job right. The fact that he is still in contention after all of these years, so he's been what the number one goalkeeper, or okay, let's just it's unofficial, but let's just say he's been <laughs> the best goalkeeper in the world for like i don't know how many years it's now, like it's official it's
0: it's definitely official yeah,
1: well yeah we say it's unofficial <laughs> but we all know it is official um, <laughs> like he's been at the at the very top for about 5 6 maybe 7 years like a really long yeah. time um in that time he's won the champions league he's not lost the league he's won the world cup i don't think that he needs to do anything different like he doesn't need to adjust his play style cuz as soon as he does that, he completely limits something something about him. So he plays in a team. <sighs> Sorry, okay, let me try and think about this. People will compare him to a player like uh, Jan Oblak, uh, Atletico Madrid, or David De Gea, or Marc Andre Testagan. Those are very different players. Testagan is probably like the closest, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, I think it's kind of a given that the second best keeper in the world is Jan or who, okay, last week against Dortmund. Let's just ignore that. Cause it completely makes my argument very redundant, <laughs> but he, uh, has, uh, kept more clean sheets than he has conceded goals. Um, or there's a, a stat very similar to that. I can't remember the exact, um, the exact phrasing of it. He plays in a team that is so rigid defensively that, you any team struggles to score against it again let's just ignore what happened midweek last last time out against Dortmund the fact that Neuer is playing against uh, is playing for a team where the defense is you know oftentimes 30 40 yards away from him and he still doesn't change a thing about how he plays that is forever in my eyes commendable um, I don't think he needs to to change how he plays. He can he can take as many risks as he wants. He is, in my mind, the number one keeper in the world, and it's it's not even close.
0: Yeah, it's
1: closer than it was, but it's um, still not close. I would like to
2: add. I think the whole the whole criticism of Neuer is only blown out of proportion, like it is, because there was this whole issue around the World Cup. Uh, because people did not like Jogi Löw as much as they liked him before. So there were, there were a lot of people criticizing Löw. And also, people tend not to like Bayern, Bayern Munich so much <laughs> if they are not actual Bayern fans in Germany. So, yeah, that, that I think yeah that, that created a lot of the, the things we are seeing right now. So people did not like Löw, people did not like Bayern. And so, yeah, Löw putting Bayern up as his number one even when, he, when it was not quite clear if he, w- if he would be able to play. Yeah, I think that was a, was a yeah, nice uh, opportunity for people to yeah, get all overboard with criticism, and w- what we are seeing right now is just an extension of that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but some of the criticism, at least that I've seen, has come from Bayern fans, and I mm. say fans with the quotation marks around it, but I, just, I feel like that's just so short-sighted, to be criticizing Manuel Neuer because other than his exceptional, you know, shot-stopping ability, arguably his biggest strength is his distribution or, you know, his on-the-ball play. And coming off of a season where we had Sven Ulreich in goal for the, the whole season, um not to talk bad about him, but his, you know, his level of distribution is far off Manuel Neuer's. Uh, and you could even make the argument that if his distribution was on Neuer's level, we'd, we we would have been in the Champions League final last season. Um, so for fans, once again in quotation marks, fans of Byron to come out and criticize Neuer after you know what we went through last season, uh, I just I, for one thing I think it's a bit short-sighted, and then second maybe a bit entitled. Also to think that a player who's you know been on the sidelines for over a year uh, could come back and immediately be at his best, I think you know for him to be playing at the level that he's already at is impressive enough. Um, so, but. Yeah. Last week, we talked about Bayern's best midfield trio, duo, whatever you might uh, want to call it. This week, I don't feel like there's going to be any debate necessarily, but what do you think Bayern's best back line? We'll assume Neuer is in goal. Uh, best back four, since that seems to be the the system that Kovac is sticking with.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the best back four we have, uh, I think it's quite clear that I'm not going to put Rafinha in there. So... Uh, it's going to be Kimmich and alaba uh on the left side and the right side and since uh i have always thought boateng is a bit better than than homels i will go with uh, i would go with boateng and zule uh in the center zule has been has been playing outstandingly in in the re- recent weeks and i think Bo- boateng has shown that he's still the same guy he has has not fallen off like I guess some some people thought I think he's still as good as he has been, so I would go with those four.
1: I'm sorry to do this to you, Sebastian. Starting left back, uh I'm gonna have Rafinha and I'm going with I'm choosing this on the assumption that, you know, out of a, a handful of games I want the person that I know is probably going to be at their absolute top. I think in that sense, Rafinha is slightly more consistent than Alaba, um, and we've also seen in, in previous years with uh, a change in in whoever the left winger is. Um, Alaba really works best with one other player, um, and that's his relationship with Ribery. Rafinha has worked well with Robin, with Müller, with um, with Costa, with with Ribery, with all of these people. He maybe not uh, he maybe hasn't worked as well but I think you you sacrifice you would sacrifice an element of quality for a fairly confident return in consistency if that makes sense it was to it would just be like a a gut instinct obviously I I won't have any problems saying that David Alaba is a better footballer and potentially a better left back than Rafinha and that's quite a bold statement to make um but that is going on the assumption that who's go- who do you know is going to perform at their absolute best? So the the middle two of the back four, Matt Summers, Nicolas Sula, I don't really think that's up for debate at this point. And, of course, Joshua Kimmich, assuming that he can take on a more defensive role. Um, OK, this is still a relatively new position for him. So he's obviously still got time to adjust, but I'd like to see him maybe not attack as much.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, So yeah, let's have him at right back.
0: All right. So I guess I was completely wrong. All three of us have a different back line this time. (laughs) Uh, I'll start with left back. I'm going with David Alaba uh, to kind of provide a counterpoint to your Rafinha argument. I would rather have Alaba at his worst than I would have Rafinha at his worst. Um, Simply because one memory from last season pops into my mind, and that is of Rafinha starting Real Madrid's best counterattack in years by giving away the ball in midfield with literally no one around him. Uh, I do like the guy. I think that he provides a good yeah, locker room presence. That wasn't a good day. <laughs> a good locker room presence, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I want him in my starting lineup unless it is desperate times, especially on the left side. And to also talk about Alaba for a bit, you talked about um how he only performs really well with one player and that's Franck Ribery. I would probably argue it's the opposite. Especially this season, I think Ribery is a crutch for Alaba. And we talked about this earlier. Whenever Ribery's on the pitch, everyone wants to give him the ball. And I think Alaba is like the the king of that. If if Ribery's on the pitch, Alaba will look at five wide-open players. See Ribery, who you know he thinks he might can make that pass to, and he's going to give the ball to Ribery. Um, so I think he kind of provides a crutch, but that's neither here nor there. Alaba's in my starting eleven at left back, and I'm going with Hummels and Sula in central defense. I, I am a big fan of Boateng as well, um, but I think based on form, I'm going to go with Hummels. Boateng has kind of developed. Javi Martinez is a, uh, I guess, knack for making some really silly decisions. He goes too far up the pitch for me sometimes. I think Hummels, even though he's much slower than Boateng, I feel much more comfortable with Hummels in a one-on-one position uh, than I do Boateng. They both have an excellent passing range, so you know you're not losing much with either one. I think either one could go in, but uh, Niklas Sula is definitely my number one pick at in center at center back. I think he's got to be in there. He just he provides too much. He's a completely solid player. Uh, and then obviously at right back, Joshua Kimmich, I definitely echoing, you know, Tim's sentiments. I'd like for him to step up. I don't think I'd like him to play more defensively, just because I, I love the dimension that he adds to the Byron attack, storming up from right back. Uh, but I think, you know, he's got to be the one that you're playing right now in the starting 11. Uh, so, Sebastian, I want to hear your defense for why Boateng should be in there over Hummels.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing that Boateng has always done better than everyone else is these tacklings. When he goes down and really makes a clean, really clinical tackling out of, out of full sprint. I mean, he's, he's much faster than than Hummels in the first place in a situation like that. When he needs to run to the back, he's, he's the fastest of, of, our, of our central backs. And as I said, his tackling is just superb. He's he's making a tackling basically from behind his his opponent, but he's still making a queen tackling, and instead of a red card, you get nothing. And I think nobody's as as good as that as Boateng is, and I think he's, he can still do that, and that brings something to uh, to that to the game that yeah, you just don't have with homos.
0: If we're talking about pure tacklers, I would say that having Martinez, I would say he's probably actually the best Bayern, just. If someone's got the ball right in front of him and you know speed's not involved, positional play not involved, just pure tackling. Yeah, I think Javi Martinez is probably the best, but I will concede Boateng's maybe a better tackler than Hummels. I just think Hummels' positional play is just is so much better that he puts himself in a, in a better uh, scenario to make the tackle than Boateng, uh, who usually yep. is forced. I mean, he pulls him off at most of the time, but he usually forces <laughs> himself to make a risky tackle on. Um, Sometimes it doesn't work yeah. out so well.
2: But sometimes he's bailing other guys out. I mean, Very sometimes true. Martinez will 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 make a mistake, and then Boateng is the only one who's going to be fast enough to really save the situation, and nobody else is going to do that.
0: Very true. Tim, I don't know what you're talking about with Rafinha over Alaba at left back. I'm just I just <laughs> gotta be honest.
1: I just like to mix things up. I like to keep everybody on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first couple of seasons with Rafinha, I was like, why is this guy at Bayern? There is no need for this guy at all. And then in Pep's first season where he would always play Rafinha at right back, I was like, this is just annoying. This is so annoying. (laughs) This guy doesn't need to be in the Bayern squad anymore. And then it was the game against Porto uh, at the Allianz Arena. And he played the game of his life. And I thought, you know what? I like Rafinha now. He's okay. Um, he is, in my mind, a player that is really important to have in the squad. Um, he's just... He's never complained about his position in the team. It, going from a starter under Pep to, not, to just not playing as much. He never complained about that. He was just happy to be there. Um, he's a good squad player. He can play... In my mind, he can play anywhere across the the defense. Maybe not as much at centre back, but he's played in a back three a few times before. Admittedly, one of those times was against Barcelona. That didn't really work out very well. But he's he's just happy to be there, and I think that's something that is very much lacking in a few other players. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I've I've seen teams like. Uh, like Liverpool play and and Barcelona play recently, and seeing their attack, seeing how everybody is just so happy to be there, and then not seeing the same sort of hmm. joy and happiness at Bayern, it's quite heartbreaking in a way. And Rafinha hmm. is one of those people that is just happy to be. <clears throat> there.
0: I mean,
2: I would gladly, I would gladly play Naby over Rafinha actually.
0: Ooh. Bit, I mean, not not that harsh. I'm
2: totally a fan of that, but... I mean, on the left side, just on the left side, I, I would play Gnabry, Gnabry over Rafinha.
0: Mm, I'd probably still go Rafinha. Rafinha yeah. over okay. Gnabry, Rafinha over Goretzka, even. So, I'm not a... I'm not that So you would, to him.
2: So, you would play Goretzka over Gnabry? Is that right?
0: I'd buy a left-back.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. I, I'd, I'd shoot not... I'd yeah. never work... I'd not sell one for not. No, um, no. Honestly, to answer the question, I guess it depends on the opponent. Uh, Champions League, Goretzka, uh, left back. Bundes- Bundesliga, for the sake of having more firepower in attack, I'll put Nabry in there just to see what he can do. But just the, my my problem with Nabry is I don't want to. I think he's best at the very you know the far end other end of the pitch he's best towards the opponent's goal so I don't want to pull him all the way back uh, to defense so I'll go Mm Goretzka all right so Alfonso Davies played his final game for Vancouver Whitecaps yesterday Uh, I actually got to watch some of the match and he looked pretty good Uh, he scored two goals the first one was a very Aryan Robin esque goal, stormed down the right flank, cut inside, uh, unleashed a powerful shot. The keeper could have done a little bit better, uh, but it went in. And then later, he won the ball back from a defender uh, who was, you know, caught napping, and he put it in the back of the net. Vancouver eventually won two one. Kind of gave him the perfect, perfect send off from his former club. Uh, I think I saw a quote from either Kovacic or Salihovic earlier today saying that. He's going to, you know, Alfonso Davies is going to have his time off, spend a few weeks with his family, go play on the international break uh, with Canada, and then, you know, midway through November, he's going to be back, he's going to already be uh, at Bayern in Munich, start training with the team, and so we already know that we've got one, maybe, you know, it's hard to judge how he's going to do, but one exciting player that's going to be joining in, in January and at least providing some depth in a position that we, we need depth on the wings. Uh, I particularly like that he's a left-footed player. We have, you know, three right-footers and then one left-footer with Aryan Robin. I think Davies coming in with that left foot, uh, you know, that's really exciting. Um, I'm, you know, very pumped to see what he can do. Um. So my question for you guys is, and it's probably a bit early to look because, you know, injuries will affect this and other things, you know, might play into this, but what other areas of need do you think you know you would like to see barn dress in this winter transfer window
2: yeah so uh we we have already touched on this uh while i obviously did not plan that i would get a left back i would get a left back ideally someone who can also play at least one more one other position maybe on the left side on the offense or a, a defensive midfield would both be fine, uh, there are a couple of players uh, out there who could reasonably be uh, uh, yeah could could be imagined we, we could maybe get guys like uh, teles from from Porto or Wendell from from Liverpool just to give two uh, two examples and not not that I'm perfectly sure we, we need one of those two guys, but just to give you an idea what kind of player I would be looking for because I think Alaba could could really could really need some competition uh, back there because he's not not playing well. Yeah, I th- I think he he's having a hard time uh, with the change on the offense with no Ribery, no Robin a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't think that's working so well for him because yeah, he he's he's been very good at uh these little exchanges with with Ribery. I think Tim you pointed that out. Uh yeah, so I think we desperately need someone who can play left back and maybe also right back if somebody gets injured. Because I'm not very, yeah, enthusiastic about Rafinha, on a Champions League game, quarterfinals or something like that. <laughs> I would really not, I would re- really not not feel well uh, seeing that. So we definitely need that. Of course, there are other other positions. I mean, guys like Fikir or somebody like that who can play a lot of positions on the offense. I would also like that a lot, but I think. If I had the choice between getting an offensive player for the middle and also other positions on the offense, obviously I think he can also play quite well on the left and on the right. But I would not put him at left back, so I would definitely prefer to
1: have a left back.
0: Tim, you were beaming when he said Fakir. Uh... Yeah,
1: I um I wrote a, a long article about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now. Um, outlying outlining Bayern's need for a what I would call a touch to touch forward. So you have a box to box midfielder who can attack and defend. A touch to touch forward would be somebody that can comfortably play could comfortably play left wing, right wing, in the middle, second striker as a ten, whatever. Nabil Fakir is that person in my eyes. Um so the whole Theory that I had in this was that Bayern actually bought the wrong player from Leon. Um, I, I really liked Lee, so I think he's become a very good player for Bayern, and hopefully, when he comes back from his injury, he'll he'll show exactly what it is that he's made of. Um, but I do think that Bayern should have spent that money, you know, breaking the transfer record, on somebody like Fakir, who went on to have an unbelievable season. Um, Obviously, with the interest that Liverpool showed and now Chelsea and a few other teams, maybe the player at Lyon isn't Nabil Fakir, but instead a renaissance for Memphis Depay to come back to uh, one of the top leagues. It it could happen. It could happen. When he was at PSV, I was very excited about him, thinking, obviously, he's going to go to Bayern and take over from Iron Robin. That was about four years ago now, so that's... Still not happened yet, but there's still time. Um, I'd like to see him at Bayern because I think he has, I think going from PSV to Man United is quite a huge step up in terms of, um, just in terms of lifestyles. Obviously, Bayern does offer you the sense of, you know, major European football, but it doesn't come with the same element of celebrity. Um, And I think that really did quite have, like, have a, massive impact on him so I'd like to see someone like Memphis Depay come in um where you can put him in at any position and you know that he'd put in a good shift um but I think above everything else we really do need more firepower in defense um well I suppose it's probably not really firepower then it's more shield power but yeah somebody uh a left back maybe somebody like Teles from I think he's at Porto now
0: Tim, you talked about Memphis Depay, Uh, a little bit about Nabil Nabil Fakir, but you said Depay is a a player that you'd think would be a good addition to Bayern. He's very much in the same vein uh, of Anthony Martial, a player that we've also seen been linked to Bayern heavily, you know, um, probably could have bought this past summer if the board, you know, was willing to dive in. I think that They would, you know, that type of player would be a good addition to the squad for sure. But do you think that the January window when we already have Alphonso Davies coming in and making it, you know, five wingers, of course, the likelihood of all five of them being fit is very low. But do you think bringing in someone like that in January uh, would, you know, one, be possible or, you know, two, be a good idea?
1: I think it would be a great idea. And I think it is possible. It's highly unlikely though. Um, Bayern don't typically do major transfer activity like that in the winter. We bought Sandro Wagner last year. It wasn't really major um before that. I don't know if anybody came in the year before that. We had Serdar Taski, I'd say that was fairly major. Um, but otherwise it's um you laugh. He was he was fine, he did okay. Um, He knew his place. For for two games. Well, he did okay for one game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's something that Bayern should do, but it's something that they don't do. Um, I think Bayern really should have capitalized on the the unrest in Manchester with Mourinho not being that fond of Martial... Because in the whole scheme of things, who's more important to the club? The player that they bought in for 30-odd million Mm -hmm. from a very young age that they gave the number nine shirt to then they wronged by giving it to Zlatan Um, or the manager that is kind of known for burning all the bridges. Mm -hmm. Surely they should have sensed any sense of unrest. They're like, okay, let's get this guy because obviously he's going to be cheaper. Um, So now between the two, while they are... In in my eyes, similar players because they can play that whole, you know, like trident of, um, left forward or right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Depay is going to be much cheaper mm. um, as he's older. Fairly certain he's older. Um, he's already got a bit of mileage on him, um, and he's coming from a well. In in so much as he's, um, you know, he's gone from. PSV to Manchester to um to Leon, whereas Martial's gone from Monaco to, you know, for all intents and purposes, still the biggest one of the biggest teams in the world. Um also getting somebody from an English club, very difficult. Exceptionally difficult. Um if anybody's gonna if if either of those two players are gonna end up at Bayern, my money would be on Memphis DePay. Okay, as for
0: the age, DePay is twenty four. Fakir is 25, so Depay is actually still younger. Um, I think people uh, forget how young he is. He's one of those type of players because of how quickly he burst onto the scene. You know, at 18, 19, however old he was. Um, Sebastian, what do you what do you think? Do you agree that it is needed in the winter or?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think I think uh, to really answer that we we would have to know if Kovac is still looking for the new Robin, the new Ribery, or is he not looking for a player like that? I think that's the question we would have to answer before. <clears throat> I mean, I re- I'm really a great a big fan of Fikir. I would like Fikir a lot, uh, and in the summer I uh, said I I would have been fine with getting Martial or a player like that. Because I was thinking that we were still going to pl- uh, going to play a lot uh, over the wings and really emphasize that. Right now, I'm not so sure anymore. Maybe I would really like, if we got an offensive player, I would think I would really like a player in the mold of Nabil Fekir more who's not fixed on yeah, doing the one-on-one stuff on the wings. And I think Kovac is also leaning in that direction. I'm not perfectly sure. I mean... It has been two or three games where he's been uh, playing what he's playing now. So he might change his mind. Maybe he doesn't p- completely know himself. But I, f- I feel like it's probably the right way uh, to go to just yeah, not not play over the wings as much and really try to uh, go more over the middle, more chamez. But we talked about the chamez problem. We only have one on, uh on the whole squad. So I guess... If we got an offensive player over the winter, I would uh, prefer someone who can play in the center. But as I said, I think if we got someone someone in the winter, I still think a left back would still be preferable. And uh, But it could be a left back who can play uh, on the left side in the midfield. So,
0: As, as far as either of you know, um, would it be possible for Bayern to recall Marco Friedel, I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, Marco Friedel. Back from his loan at Werder Bremen, because I feel like it'd be I feel like one reservation the board might have in not buying a left back in the winter, and I can totally see them saying this is coming out and say you know why would we buy a left back when you know we have a player who's going to come back from loan in six months time. Uh, What Mm -hmm. would you think about maybe recalling him from Werder Bremen rather than buying someone, or do you just think that he's not? Bayern level, and that you'd rather get someone who's going to actually provide competition for Alaba.
2: I don't think that comes as a surprise to any of you, but I would play him over Rafinha. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that's something that's just not going to happen in the Bundesliga. I think that's quite unheard of uh, in the context of the Bundesliga, to tell Werder Bremen, so we are want, we want him back. I know we gave, gave him to you for a year, but now we changed our mind. I don't think you're going to see that in the Bundesliga. I mean... Yeah, the the differences between FC Bayern and Werder Bremen uh, in the past. I don't know if if you know any about that between Hurnus uh, and
0: hmm.
2: oh, what was the guy's name? The guy with little hair. You know who I, who I mean?
1: What's his name? Is it Thomas
2: Schaff? No, no not Thomas Schaff. I think he, I'm, I'm uh, a manager in Lemke. The German. Sense. Lemke. Ah, Willy Lemke. Willy Lemke. Yeah, exactly. That's what I who, who was who I was thinking of. So. Yeah, I guess that's, that's in the past, but I still don't think that Bayern would do such a thing because it, it would be strange and, yeah, I, th- I think it would be frowned upon, basically.
0: I feel like it almost may be too much for Bayern to swallow their pride and buy someone in January that's essentially at Juan Bernat's level when they just sold Juan Bernat in the summer. I think yep. Alaba and Rafinha could probably both be injured. And the board would be too stubborn to bring in somebody, you know, round about that Bernat level simply because they don't want to admit that selling him uh, was a mistake. So I would would completely agree, though. I think that that's a position left back, right back, I mean, fullbacks on either side, we need some reinforcement.
2: I mean, Hunas has an out there. He basically said, but, but we, we, that Banat is no longer at FC Bayern because of his mistakes, so you could always uh, hide behind that, I suppose.
0: Yeah, so definitely need a left back. <laughs> uh, as for the winger, I'm not sure I'd bring someone in simply because Coman's going to be just coming back from injury. Davies is going to be coming in. Uh, Nabry still is finding his footing. I think it'd be a shame to bring in somebody who immediately goes in as a starter above them. Um, I just feel like that could be detrimental to confidence development. As much as we need a winger, I'd rather buy someone once Robin and Ribery are out of the club or out of you know contention for a starting spot. Now, if we get there and one of those two have have picked up a season-ending injury uh, or something similar, then you know go into the market and I think that a a diverse player, uh, I'd be fine with someone in the vein of Fakir or someone in the vein of Depay. Uh, Either way, uh, but other than you know, unless injury strikes, I don't think A we need anybody or B I you know it's hard to see us actually going for anybody. injury is going to, to strike. Oh yeah, it's almost guaranteed. <laughs> I think it's I mean, interesting that you
1: talk about this like um, uh, potentially season-ending uh, injury. For Robin and Ribery, a season-ending injury is a career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. So if, let's say, something happens in a couple of weeks' time and then you get the, the announcement, oh, Robin is injured for eight months, that's him done. Like, he's not going to get an extension from that. If Like, I don't know, if he stays fit for the rest of the season, there's every possibility it could happen. Um, if he gets injured before the Christmas break and he's out forever... Do buy and then have to go into the transfer market to say, okay, we were going to wait until the summer. We now need to get that replacement right now. Like they've really, I think the danger in waiting for them to go um, to get somebody in, like immediately, so that there is no crossover. I think that's quite a dangerous game to play.
0: Also, just thinking, you know, you you've sparked this thought in my mind. Clubs will know that buying or. Are- in the market for a winger if that situation is to come up. And then all of a sudden, you know, the 50 million Euro player is, you know, now 75 plus million, uh, simply because the need is that high. So that is uh, an excellent point. But I also think in the January window, you're already looking at higher prices anyway, more or less. Uh, Usually you don't see a player leave a club in January unless that player's you know, wanting to leave that club. Uh, you know, there are rare instances where that's not the case, um, but that's definitely a, a good point to bring up on something that hopefully the Byron board is considering themselves.
2: I mean, they have been acting like uh, they won't mind spending a lot of money next summer. So I don't know. I don't know what to, in in what dimensions they are thinking here. Are they thinking of 100 million? Are they thinking of 200 million? I'm not, not quite sure. What would you imagine? I'm, I'm, yeah, not quite sure.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess the only thing we can do is wait and find out, Uh, because until until we get closer, we won't really know more information. And then, you know, once January rolls around, I feel like it could be a long, thirty-one, yeah, thirty-one days for Bayern fans waiting for, hopefully, you know, uh, some reinforcements in defense and possibly also an attack. Uh, One thing I want to discuss. Sebastian I hope uh you have the German report from this but there was a bit of a protest mm-hmm. in Saturday's game against Mainz from the Bayern fans so what was that all about yeah.
2: Indeed there was uh yeah the the fans the fans especially uh yeah the the ultras you would you would call them did not like uh the new jerseys the new away jerseys and the I think it's called mint green yep. Um, some people were calling them blue. I actually thought they were blue too when I saw them first because the shorts, shorts are blue. And so I guess they kind of look blue if you don't, don't look uh, closely enough. And they actually, yeah, they, they made a little fun of it. And, uh, yeah, there was a kind of a relation to what Hernes uh, had, uh, had said in the press conference, uh, recently they said, uh, Die Clubfarben sind unantastbar, which means the colors of our club are, yeah, as we had uh, the last time, that you cannot touch them, you cannot infringe uh, upon them, something like so, that. So,
0: a bit on a play on words of that, uh, yeah. I guess, the first article that Rumaniger referred exactly. to in the press We're, conference.
2: Yeah, exactly. We're back at the Grundgesetz, basically, at article number one.
0: Hmm.
2: So, like, it's our Bayern Grundgesetz that our colors, yeah need to stay the way they are, and you're not supposed to change them. Yeah, that was quite interesting, and Kovac even uh, talked about that, I think, yesterday. He was defending the, the colors. Quite interesting that he really talked about that and that just uh, declined to comment, I would say. Uh, he said, yeah, the fans are all right to do that. It's their right. Uh, and he also likes the colors. He's, he said, I'm a, ich bin ein bunter Typ. Not quite. Not I don't. I'm not quite sure how to translate that best uh, because bund is a bit of a strange word in German. It means basically multicolored, but it, it sounds a bit strange to say I'm I'm the multicolored type, but that's <laughs> basically what it translates to. So my color is multicolored, something like that. I guess you would say. So that was Kovac's line of defense here, and yeah, I, I, I didn't make that clear before. I think they. Uh, don't I don't know if uh, our listeners saw the game they really put up this huge this huge jersey
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh all over the all over the place basically in the stadium uh and yeah, that was quite interesting and quite impressive actually i would say uh, I'm just looking if I can find the other quote there was something else on that no i don't think so
0: it's interesting that the fans would protest the color of the kit mm-hmm. because I believe. If there was anything about Barnes, uh jerseys this season that I would be protesting, it would be that new addition of a patch on the sleeve, uh, the Cotter uh, mm-hmm. Airways. Um, Tim, yeah. I, I, Tim, I know you have some thoughts about that. I've seen with the Bavarian tweets and other, and other outlets.
1: Yeah, I now realize what it was that you were talking about earlier when you said that I had opinions, <laughs> and I was like, I'm quite badly colorblind, so the colors are very much secondary to me. Yeah. I, um, I was in Munich several weeks ago looking to buy a new Jersey and I was very excited about it because I thought, okay, this is cool. Like it's going to be a new season, new manager. We're going to go undefeated, never going to let in any goals, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It was very early days. Um, and I went to the shop and saw that the, um, the Qatar Airways patch on the side is non-negotiable. Um, and this is the first season that i'm not buying a Bayern shirt
0: hmm.
1: i'm still um still following and supporting the team um in everything that they do but there's just something about wearing where no disrespect to anybody that is from qatar or any other country like um like the uae i have many friends that are from there um but it is very it's quite difficult to support something where there's just so much evidence of wrongdoing um and it's not something that i want to wear on my sleeve like i've i had friends that are on t-mobile their mobile network and they had really bad service that kind of really doesn't bother me that much (laughs) but when it is something like like qatar airways where you the airport was kind of built in such a horrific way not architecturally but just the way that it was built um and everything that's that's going on with that country everything that's happening with the world cup and um and beckenbauer going over there and saying oh i didn't see anything wrong um it's just a little bit too i can't find the right word for it um and i don't think i'll ever find the right word for it because hmm. it isn't the sort of thing that i'm used to seeing and this isn't a club that needed a, a huge injection of money. Um, like if, um, if Man City wanted their Etihad money, then great. Cool. Do it. It's worked wonders for them. Bayern are and have been one of the richest clubs in the world for a very long period of time. This is completely needless. They are now affiliated almost permanently by like, no, no fans are going to forget about this Qatar sponsorship. Um they're sponsored with a group of people that are responsible for some seriously awful things. Um, And I don't want to wear that on the sleeve of the shirt that should be an escape from reality.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's one very well said, and we could probably record episode after episode diving into that and talking about that. So I will probably just leave that there with the thought that it's, it's interesting that the fans would come together uh, specifically the ultras would come together and, you know, go out of their way to make this impressive Tifo, what we call them in America, um, protesting the colors of the kit rather than the other atrocities that we see on the kit. There have been at um at home games there have been banners uh
1: that have been anti-Qatar. And so I've had to, to talk to the people next to me to say, what exactly does that say? Nine times out of 10, they're written in, in Bavarian. Hmm. Um, and so I speak to the person who's from Frankfurt next to me, and they're like, I don't know what that says either. <laughs> um, but it is it is something that I think many of the ultras are against. And so it is a shame to see them kind of just give up, um, mm-hmm to kind of be acquiesced to this idea that well it's here to stay we just have to get used to it because there's going to be a new kit next year it won't be mint green or whatever this color is right but it it will still have that patch on the side Mm.
0: looking back at other results from this past week we saw that Dortmund drew with Hertha Berlin, uh, which puts Bayern in second, only two points behind them, leading the league. And while we're on the topic of Dortmund, before we talk about the draw with Berlin, uh, I want to discuss the huge win they had against Atletico Madrid midweek. I don't know how much either of you got to watch that match, but uh, I got to you know see most of it. And, I mean, Dortmund were genuinely impressive. Uh, I know that in the past I've talked about not being totally convinced by them and and Favre and everything, but no one goes against Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid and scores four goals. And so for them to do that and for none of the goals, I mean, one of the goals was a defensive error that was capitalized on by Dortmund, but I mean, either way, they they looked for the entire match, the better side. I don't know. did, Did either of you get to watch any of that match?
2: I only saw parts, but what I saw was really quite impressive. And I think even Simeone had quite kind words for them, which does not always happen. I suppose he's not uh, he's not known for uh, being very gentle with the opposition. So yeah, I think that was really impressive. I mean, Atletico Madrid is one of one of the better teams in the Champions League, mm-hmm. one of the best, I would say. So yeah, you you cannot you, nobody can can argue anymore that they are not for real. They will they will have to they will have to own that now. There's no way around that.
1: Yeah, I, I remember saying uh if not last week then the week before that it's difficult to exactly tell just how good they are because they've mm. you know, the Bundesliga is kind of like its own vacuum. Um you can come up against a team that's doing really, really well and then you can just blow them out of the water. Um and obviously they with players like Sancho and Paco Alcacer. They hadn't started games, and I, I was a little bit dubious. I was thinking, okay, maybe they just got a good rub of the green, etc. But the fact that they then did it, if you beat Atletico Madrid, that's already quite good. If you beat them 2-0, that's really good. 4-0 just does not happen. 4-0 like, mm-hmm. against anybody is a good result. Doing it against a team that defends like that, as I mentioned earlier with Jan or Black doing it against Atletico that's huge and I think that is that should be a big wake-up call for Bayern Um, because obviously as I said Bundesliga is his own little vacuum if you see that one team is doing well you're like okay that's great we then have to go and face them in two weeks time Mm -hmm. we need to be prepared for this especially considering how Bayern have performed against Atletico in the last few years.
0: Of course, Dortmund went on to draw 2-2 with Hertha Berlin this weekend, and I mean they finally dropped points in a game, and a game that they honestly should have won. They were uh, much the better side. Uh, Berlin got a late um, penalty, and that's that's how they brought it back. But one game that I do want to talk about uh, was this this past weekend was actually the Friday match between uh, Freiburg and Gladbach, because Gladbach's a side that. You know they beat Bayern three uh, nil. They've been pretty impressive so far up until this point in the Bundesliga. So to see them go to Freiburg and then to lose three one, for me was really disappointing because you know we're nine games into the season and I think that we're already starting to see this kind of separation uh, between the truly like top top teams, which is usually just Bayern Munich, but now we have Bayern and Dortmund. Uh, but we're seeing that separation between the top teams. And then the rest of the league, when, you know, I, you know, we, as, along with many Bayern and Bundesliga fans, were just, we're hoping to finally see a season where it's, you know, a multi-horse race, so to speak, where so many teams can come in and win it. And I could be wrong, uh, y'all may, you may disagree with me, but I think we're finally, you know, finally starting to see that separation, even though Gladbach, uh, Werder Bremen, who both lost this weekend, they're only two points off Bayern. I think that we're starting to, to see that take place. Any other, any other matches from the weekend that stood out to you guys?
2: Of course, Leverkusen, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I, I think that may have been the turning point for them. Uh, Werder Bremen has been looking quite good for uh, this season, I would say. I mean, they started they started the season saying they want to play at least in the EuroLeague. That was quite gutsy of them, I would say. Uh, and uh, but they up to now I, I would say they quite they were quite impressive. Not that I would have expected that, but now Leverkusen look very strong. Beat them six two, which mm-hmm. is quite 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 a rare uh, quite a rare scoring line I would say. Quite quite a rare uh, quite uh, quite a rare result. So yeah, maybe that's the turning point for them. I I would hope so. I like this team. I think they have very interesting players. Uh, I like Havertz a lot. Uh, I like Folland a lot. I like Brandt a lot. I would have loved. I would love to see. On. Uh, I would still love to see Brandt at, at Bayern Munich, but probably not going to happen so soon anymore. Um, yeah, very interesting players. I could also imagine Wendell at Bayern Munich, as I said before. He's also a very interesting player. That's a very interesting. Very quite young team. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think they they are turning around now. Uh, had such a terrible start, but now maybe. Maybe that's the turning point here.
0: Going into that match, I saw a report saying that Heiko Herlich was basically told, you have to win this match or you're gone. Uh, And (laughs) I'm looking at the lineup right now. It looks like he went with a 3-4-3, which is completely different to what he's been playing most of the season, which is the 4-2-3-1 that he's been trying to get them to play. Um, But they had a lot of success with the 3-4-3 last year. I remember when Leon Bailey kind of started to break out last season. Uh, he was being switched from a wing back of sorts almost, and then later in the game kind of being played further up the field. So, you know, good on Hurlick. He may have saved himself his job. At least for now, it looks like he saved himself his job. But I'd love to see them get back on track, especially uh, in Europe start. You know, because they, they lost um, in the Europa League midweek to Zurich you know, a side that they definitely should have beaten playing in that, and they were playing mm-hmm. in that four-two-three-one. So, I was I was glad to see uh, Naverkusen step up and, you know, get a win, especially since it meant Bayern uh, over, you know, went past Werder Bremen into second place in the league. But talking about Freiburg, who beat Borussia Mönchengladbach this past weekend, that is who Bayern faced at the end of this week. But before that match, Bayern has an important... Game in the DFB Pokal tomorrow. I am not going to try and say. Well, I will try. Is it uh, S- I know is kind of the German way. S V uh, Rödinghausen. Is that close enough for you, Sebastian?
2: Yeah, it's S V Rödinghausen. Oh. So it's an ö. I guess it's a long ö. I'm not quite sure. I don't know the place myself, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but I, I would I would think it's a long ö, so it should have should be Rödinghausen.
0: Okay, I think they're, was it 4th division side? Either 3rd or 4th division? Yeah,
2: I think Regional Liga. Regional yeah. uh, they play in the Regional league, which is the 4th division yes. right now. Bayern, hopefully... Used to be the 3rd, but yeah.
0: Hopefully they have no you no know, issue going there and getting a significant win. Uh, there are a lot of first-team members missing, I think. James um, won't be there. Neither Hummels nor Boateng is completely fit uh Sven Ulrich is going to miss this game with the birth of his child. Um I mean there's a few more first team players that aren't going to be able to make the the journey. And Kovac has called up uh, several under 23 players to to come and join the squad. Um Paul Will, uh, uh Maritan Shabani is another one. So, you know, they might get some playing time. I think that might I I'd, I'd be a little bit surprised if any of them started. Um, but ultimately, you know, Bayern should go and win this game convincingly. However, we saw in their last DFB-Pokal match, that was far from the case, you know, just a 1-0 win. So maybe you have some have some more knowledge on that team or something for me that, you know, what we might can expect, but I, I'd basically <laughs> say anything less than a big Bayern win would be a bit disappointing.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Of course, uh, as we say uh, in German, der Pokal hat seine eigenen Gesetze. The cup has its own laws, basically. I think that's not not specific to German, uh, to the German language. But yeah, that's that's what people usually say, and it has happened quite a lot. Uh, some people remember the name Greut and those places. Yeah, uh, it it has been it, ha, it uh, it's known that that happens. That great teams, uh, yeah, have to. Leave the DFB car losing against much weaker teams. Yeah, but it just can just comes down to the the Bundesliga team playing their normal kind of football, not underestimating the opposition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's no way around that. They have they have to win that match. Of course, it's not an automatic win, but you have to take it seriously. But that's about it.
0: Well, assuming. Bayern go and get the win that they should get Uh, they face Freiburg at the weekend and you know it's a not really a a big team that they're facing but it is a very important match with Borussia Dortmund coming up the next weekend Bayern need a big win at home Uh, I think the fact that they're playing at the Allianz Arena is you know a really big factor in this match because they've had so many away games Mm -hmm. recently and they they're grinding out results people have been a little bit disappointed in, in what they've seen but they are still getting three points so I think there's a lot of expectation on Byron coming into this weekend to step up and you know put in a convincing result we've seen so many times that you know like this past weekend against Mainz they won 2-1 in a game that we saw that they could have added so many more goals if Kimmich's shot went in if Martinez' shot went in I think it would just be nice this weekend to see you know those what-if chances just become goals Uh, and for Bayern to put their foot down and say okay you know we are ready for Dortmund we're ready to get back on with the rest of the season put whatever happened behind us you know put that behind us Um, but Freiburg could be a threat on their day obviously they have Christian Streich as manager who has a decent you know repertoire a decent history I saw last season when When uh, it was still unclear who would take over for Bayern. His name was even thrown into the mix by some sources. Uh, He's probably still Mm. a little far off from from that, but he is a good manager, specifically at Freiburg and and what he's done there. Um, Nils Peterson, we know that he can bag some goals. He's definitely a threat. And they beat uh, Gladbach 3 1, who beat Bayern 3 0. So we understand, or we know they can be uh, a threat.
2: I think Streich would never work at Bayern Munich. Uh, of course, uh, he's he's quite a good manager. I totally agree. But he's kind of the the anti version of exactly, everything that's yeah. going on at Bayern Munich. Uh, uh for people who don't don't uh, I don't know if everybody knows that, but but Freiburg is a very financially conservative club, you I guess you could say. They they are basically always the team who has the least money and spends uh, the smallest amount of money. Just uh, except for except for the 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 new additions to the league, I, I would say, uh, yeah. But but I, th- I think you really have to respect that Freiburg has been in in the in, in the league for such a long time now, and has managed to stay there with without spending a lot of money. Really, uh, usually have a very young team also, and I think that's what what uh, Streich is really best at: not working with the stars but working with young, hungry players uh, yeah, who are fine with playing at a place like Freiburg and not in a, in a big, in a huge city, uh, not, not in Hamburg, not in Frankfurt, not in Munich, not in Berlin. Yeah, just living in this smaller world of Freiburg uh, and, yeah, in this smaller kind of club. And I think uh, they are doing ver- very well, very well doing this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, nevertheless... Uh, they are about uh, on the same level as Mainz, I would say. So they are also a team that that Bayern should, yeah, beat. Bayern, Bayern should should be able to beat them, of course. And w- what I would really like to see is, yeah, playing a straight kind of football, really working m- more in the direction of, yeah, having a game plan, knowing what they're going to do, not. Be being thrown off by uh, Ribery coming into the game, uh, as we saw in the last one. I would really want them to develop the kind of football they want to play further and yeah, get rid of those mistakes and yeah, just improve with what they are trying to do.
0: Tim, same sort of expectations heading into this match?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the at the match history between Freiburg and, and Bayern. Last season... 4 0 victory for Bayern, 5 0 victory for Bayern. But it is a team that's kind of a bit like Gladbach. It really could go either way because um, obviously, you know, they beat the team that beat Bayern. So, you know, if you want to <laughs> look at it in a purely logical sense, obviously Bayern are going to lose this game. <laughs> um, yeah, the best this is for a
2: Ziga, for Ziga kind of logic there. Yeah, yeah when yeah, San like, Pauli beat. Beat Bayern with these shirts uh, that said Sieger Pokal Sieger Basically, the guys who beat the guys who won uh, the world. Uh, the, yeah, is, is it World Cup in English? What is it? What is Pokal
1: in English? Yeah, World
2: World Cup. Yeah, but the World Cup is the Weltmeisterschaft. Oh, is
0: it right? the, the Club World Cup?
2: Has it always been called that in English? I'm not sure. Club World Cup.
0: If if I understood the German, I'd know what you were talking about. <laughs> but uh, I assume maybe Club World Cup.
2: Yeah, uh, okay. So that yeah. that's the, the newer kind of thing. Anyway. Okay.
0: Um
1: but yeah, this is a game that you know, in previous years Bayern have won by several goals to nil. Like two thousand eleven I'm seeing seven nil. That's that probably would have had Nils Peterson in the in the Bayern squad. Hmm. What a great time that was for everybody. Um <laughs> I think it's a game that could be Easy, it will be a game like Tiago and Lewandowski. You can tell what's going to happen within the first five minutes. Um, if Bayern come out strong, then I think they'll be able to get quite a few goals. I'd like to see them, as uh, I think, Ben, you said, with uh, Kimmich and Tiago, they both were very unlucky against And um, So I would really like to see the difference between winning by a goal and winning by several mm-hmm. to like really start to see the difference between the uh, the other clubs and where Bayern are.
0: Well, hopefully this time next week we're back looking or looking back in two games where Bayern won big and really built up some momentum as we head into uh, for you know the cringy English version their classic.er As we head into this time of the season, you know we have this big game against Dortmund coming up. Hopefully byron build this momentum this week Uh, but that's all the time that we have for this week if you have any questions or want to get a hold of us you can email us at superbyronpod at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at superbyronpod we look forward to speaking with you next